The scripture reading today is taken from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verses 7 to 14, which can be found on page 1,156 in your pew Bibles. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 14, on page 1156 of your pew Bibles. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Good to see everyone here on this gorgeous day. If you haven't been here, if this is your first Sunday for some time, we are working through a series on the book uh, of Ephesians, and we're inviting everyone into just a community-wide conversation. We encourage everyone, if you haven't done so already, read through that whole book, read through it in one sitting, get a sense for the whole of it as we sort of dive into the trees of it. Look, look, read it through in one sitting just to catch a sense for the forest of it, the big picture of it. And last week... Um, Last week, I just, I pretty much preached on five words. <laughs> he chose us in him. Remember those five words? Hope you've committed them to heart. Hopefully, we can make a little more progress today. So, in that spirit, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory of this day and for the wonder of this beautiful text, Ephesians. And we ask that you would powerfully, through your Holy Spirit, make it come alive to us. It's a, it's a, it's a letter written uh, centuries ago to people, distance and culture and time, and yet it's a living word from you, Father. And so, Holy Spirit, make these words jump off the page, grab our hearts, and do business with us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We as human beings, we are story-shaped beings. What we do as humans is we take all the pieces of data of our lives, our vocation, what we do, the families we're in, the relationships we're in, the interactions we had, our history, world politics, the culture we live in. We take all these little pieces of data and we try to fit them into a framework of meaning. And we use story to do that. We, we tell a story to ourselves about our life, about who we are, that tries to make connections with all that data, which tries to make sense of, of our lives. In our culture, we do the same thing. Although we don't have a big narrative or a story in our culture, a meta-narrative to help us make sense of this world, so we're left really to create our own story. One neurologist, uh, Robert Burton, 
sees that, but sees the problem in that too. He explains how our brains function in this way to take all this data and create stories. But he writes, he says, because we're compelled to make stories, we're also compelled to take incomplete stories and run with them, even if those explanations are incomplete or wrong. And that, that can be just a bad way to live. Case in point, one of the stories our culture lives with is really a bad story. It is the story of scarcity. Our culture, it's probably one of the dominant stories that, that frames the way so much of our world our society sees life and understands life. It's the story of scarcity, the story of never enough. One author, uh, she's an activist and author, Lynn Twist, she writes this about scarcity. She says, for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. And then the next one, following quick after it is, I don't have enough time, I'm late. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor for the day, we're already inadequate already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get, what we didn't get done that day. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. And she's saying, this story, it's so big. It's, it's not a financial story that we're talking about. People often think about that in terms of our economy, that it's a finance story. It's bigger than that. It's a social story. It's a story of our emotional lives. It's a story of our relationships, of how we understand the world. We sort of see the world as this dog-eat-dog affair, a survival of the fittest. There's not enough to go around, so you need to keep your edge. You, otherwise, you're going to be trampled. You're going to be pass by by someone who's hungrier than you, who wants it more than you. And so the story of scarcity, it's like a bully for our hearts and for our families and our workplaces and our communities because it fills us with fear. We're always looking over our shoulder. It fills us with a sense of shame because we compare this fear that we're not enough, that as a parent, as a spouse, you're not enough. As a professional, you just haven't done enough. When I'm honest, boy, there's some Sundays where I walk away after our evening service, after a 5 p.m. service, thinking with this sinking sense that once again, I've just fallen short. I'm not enough. Or how many times putting my kids to bed where I think, I, I just am not enough of a dad for them. I have not provided the wisdom, the resources, the love, the encouragement that these kids need to flourish. Or my spouse I just think I'm not worthy of the love this woman offers me. I'm not enough for this. I don't think I'm alone in this. If I'm right, if I listen enough to your stories, there's a sense that all of us feel this. And I don't think I'm alone in feeling tired of living out that story of scarcity. Here's the beautiful thing Ephesians tells us. There's a better story. 
There's a way better story that the gospel offers us. There is another reading of reality that we can live into, another way to see others, another way that doesn't center on what should we be afraid of or who should we blame. Think about that. What if the story you woke up every morning was, I am more blessed than I could ever imagine. What if the story that you woke up every morning was the creator of the universe has created this world in such a way that is filled with wholeness, including me? What if the story that makes sense of our life, of our world, is that you are richer than you think? That there is a good guiding purpose in the universe that is aimed at the flourishing of all things, including your life. How would that change your life? How would that change how you see others and how you understand this world? We're walking through the book of Ephesians, and Paul is speaking to this group at Ephesus, saying... There's another reading of reality because they were living with some understanding, some story that filled their minds and imaginations that told them how to make sense of their life, but it was incomplete story. It was a wrong story. And Paul proclaims the gospel that in Jesus Christ, there is an even better story for your life, a truer story. And the whole book of Ephesians is the sense of open your eyes, see what is in front of you. God is at work doing something in this world, and you are a part of it. Paul writes to to wake us up to this better story of the gospel, and he begins with an astonishing claim that should jolt us, jolt us awake. Starting in verse 3, all the way down to verse 14, it's one, as I mentioned last week, it's one long sentence, one magnificent, complicated beautiful, overflowing sentence. And Paul says to people who have accepted this faulty story, this, this uh, people who need an alternate take on reality, he says, this life is beautiful and blessed, and you are richer than you think. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, it's accomplished. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing absolute language he uses in Christ Jesus. To be blessed means to to wish someone really well. We trivialize it and, you know, we say stuff like, oh, bless your heart. It's way bigger than that. It's not just a nice wish. In the New Testament, it carries this sense of shalom, of full flourishing, of well-being, that every part of your life is integrated and whole and makes sense. That's what it means to be blessed. That's your story. That's God's intention for your and my life for this world which means you are richer than you think. I've been using that phrase. You know that phrase. It comes from Scotiabank. They ran this advertising campaign some time ago with you're richer than you think. That's a great summary for what Paul is saying here. You you don't even see how good God has blessed you. You are richer than you think because you are a Christian, because God has brought you into Jesus Christ. You are richer. You are more blessed than you could ever imagine. Paul's saying scarcity doesn't run the world. God's blessing is the undercurrent of all things. And before we go into all this cascade of blessings, I want to take just for a moment to to see another repeated thing, the source of all those blessings. It's unmistakable here. Paul says we get every spiritual blessing, verse 3, in Christ. 
Verse four, it says, in him. Verse six, it says, we are in the one he loves, in Christ. Verse seven, in him we have redemption. 11 different times in this series, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ or in him. You begin to see something's going on here, right? To become a Christian is is to be in Jesus Christ. It's not simply to have Jesus as your king, although he is that, not just as your example, he is that, not just even the savior to be grateful for, he is that. But when you become a Christian, when you believe in Jesus, when you rest in him, you are placed in him. You are put in Jesus, so everything that he has is yours. In Christ, we are in everything that is in Jesus Christ, and in Christ, everything that is in Jesus Christ is in us. That's a whole lot. It, it, it's a fascinating thing when it happens. It's, it's a little like adoption. Adoption, we're going to get to that in just a minute. That's one of the blessings. Now, many of you know my family is made through adoption. We are two kids. We're brought into our life through adoption. Legally, they became part of our family. And because they have legally become part of our family, they have a share in everything of that family. They, they share in this family history, but they share in all our resources. My dad has a company that is a number of different places across Canada. There probably, hopefully, is an inheritance. Some, my kids have a share in that inheritance coming down. Um, all that we have is theirs. And, and when we believe in Jesus Christ, when you're united with him, you share in his life, you share in his death, in his resurrection, and all the things that Jesus has accomplished are now ours. Even though you didn't earn it, didn't deserve it, it's yours. You share in it. It is in Christ. No other person, no other place offers every spiritual blessing only in Christ. This is what God has chosen you and I for, to know, to experience, to enjoy Every spiritual blessing. Now, what is that? It'd be impossible to enumerate all those blessings, but here Paul mentions some of them, and we're just going to quickly walk through them. And again, they show us you are richer than you think, than you imagine. You are blessed than you could ever hope for. First, you're chosen for adoption. Adoption means that through Christ, God is not just your king. He's not just the creator of the universe. He's not just your deliverer. He becomes your father. Your father. You are brought into his family. You are his sons and daughters. This is your story. This is who you are. The story we often tell ourselves about God is one of not enough, of scarcity, that I haven't done enough for God. God is really probably bitterly disappointed with me, with the mess I've made of life, that I've just not enough for God and must have prove to God that I'm enough. But the amazing good news of the gospel, the true story of the world, is we were chosen from before time to be adopted, to be part of a relationship with the creator. That is our destiny. We are predestined. That is our destiny for that, to be adopted from long before the world was ever dreamed of. In love, God chose us to be his family, to be part of his community of Father, Son, and Spirit. G.I. Packer, one theologian, says adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers to us. It's the highest blessing because of this rich relationship that God takes us into his family and, and where we experience closeness, we experience generosity, that that's at the heart of things. 
Adoption means we have access to the Father. He's your Father. Just like my kids have full access to me, they barge into my office and call me on my cell phone whenever they want because I love them. They're my kids. Of course they have that. You have access to your Father. No one else has that except in Jesus Christ. To be right with God, that's a great thing, but to be loved and cared and embraced by the Father, that is even deeper, more profound. Adoption means security. Think of that. If you're an employee and you have an employer, how, how do you deal with that person? Sometimes, you know, employees don't perform, they don't go far enough and so you wonder am I going to get let go you don't know everyone has their limits but if you're a child and you have a father how long does a parent put up with a child well forever (laughs) that's what they do and so we're secure in the love of our father not just because he's our king not because he's our deliverer but because he's our father in Jesus Christ. So through adoption, we enter into that life and we participate in the life of God, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. This is what we are always meant for from before time. So we are adopted. But far more, remember, you're richer than you ever imagined. So there's more blessings to come. We're adopted, we're redeemed, it says. We're redeemed according to the riches of his grace. Now, redeem, that's not just another synonym for salvation. Paul's not just sort of piling on different synonyms. There, there's different nuances to this. And, and this one, too, it's, it's a particular kind of blessing that God offers to us. When we think of the word redemption, um, I bet a lot of us think re- religious stuff right away. Because it, it, it's come to us in this religious context. But in Paul's time, this is, a, this is sort of a marketplace secular word. Um, it was a word that was not religious, sort of every day. The word literally means to loose. And it had the, the sense of you loose or you untie an animal um, from where it was bound up. But mostly, it was thought of in terms of loosening humans from one captivity or another. Slaves prisoners in financial debt from, from oppressive situations and, and releasing them, loosening them via payment. The price of redemption. In him, we're told, we have redemption by his blood. Paul's saying, apart from grace, we're captive. And unless we get released from the slavery, we cannot enter into and enjoy God's blessing. So somebody has to set us free. That longing for freedom, it is one of the most deep, profound longings of the human heart to be free. But the bondage we experience is deep. It's worse than any dictator or corruption or injustice could pile on us. We are enslaved by sin and darkness and death. And what Paul is celebrating in this is is this redemption, this freedom, this loosening through the death of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died and shed his blood through that sacrifice, we were freed, loosed. By his blood, we are released from the curse of the law, from the lies that so often just grip our heart, all those false, wrong stories. By his blood, we've been released from those unseen powers of the heavenly places. By his blood, we've been released from the finality of death, from the fear of death. All through the sacrificial 
death of Jesus who substituted his blood, his life, for ours. It's fascinating to me how that act, that act of, of giving one's life to save another is one of the most compelling, beautiful, powerful narrative devices in the canon of Western literature and film. You ever notice that? How, how, how it's just rampant throughout Western literature and film. All the great stories have this, this, this sacrificial giving of one's life for another. Sidney Carton and Charles Dickens, Tale of Two Cities. Harry's, Harry Potter's mother, Lily, in the Harry Potter series, who gives her life for her son. Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino. Anna in Frozen. Again and again, you, you, you see literature and film using this, this gift, this reality of someone giving their life for another. Now, why? Because it is so beautiful. It is so compelling. Because it is the better story Jesus is telling us. There is no more incredible moral beauty than that. And to not just read about somebody doing it or to see it portrayed on film, but to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth in history and did that for you and I to get you eternal glory and love. That is the better story. That, when that gets in the center of your heart, it will captivate you, it will move you, it will change you. Give your heart to that better story. So he comes to set us free from all that holds us in bondage so that we can belong to him, so that we can enter into the glorious freedom as children of God. Then verse 7 says we have the forgiveness of sins. Again, this is not another synonym for salvation or not just another way to say it. It's, again, a different nuance. And it talks about the restoration of relationship. You can be freed, but then it doesn't necessitate you have a relationship. And this forgiveness is about God who, who has freed us, but then does what it takes that we can have this reconciled relationships. We have forgiveness from this boundary that we have crossed. By his blood, Jesus erases our sin. He chooses not to hold it against us, our willful disobedience, so that we can be in relationship with him. We can't claim the right to be forgiven, but we completely depend on God's grace for the sake of Christ. This is the wonder of wonder. God forgives because he wants right relationship with us. And then verse 8 through 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times had reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. God made known to us the mystery of history. You get in on what God is doing in this world. This is not something that, you know, a few elite spiritual people can know. No, this refers to God's purpose for the entire universe that we could never have known only through the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the mystery of history that God says now is known. And the key to this is Jesus Christ. All the lines of history point to and are summed up in Christ, which means... Apart from Christ, this, this world doesn't make any sense. 
And really, that's what all over the world people are wondering. All over the, people, the world, people are wondering, what has gone wrong with this world? And the biblical answer is, we have given ourselves to powers beneath our dignity. We have sought comfort in things that now hold us captive. We have given ourselves to the wrong master. But in God's good purpose, he is correcting that history and making Christ the head of all things and under Christ bringing together everything. Now think of the meaning of this. You and I are part of God's integration of all things in Jesus Christ because remember, we're in Christ. And when your heart comes to hope in Christ, you are included in him, you're included in his work, you're included in that good future Jesus is bringing about. And and all things are now integrated in Christ, which means your life, your work, your vocation, your work on legal files, your business deals, the designs you create, your domestic duties, your sales and service, your teaching, your art, your research, it is all reframed by the gospel, by God's plan, by God's purpose in Jesus Christ. It's included as God brings together all things in Jesus. You can't ask for greater meaning for your life. You can't find a higher purpose to know that your life, your work, is all part of God's work, redeeming, renewing all things in Jesus Christ. It's a massive portfolio of blessings that God gives you and I. What a better story to live out. There's not a shred of scarcity, is there, in what Paul is talking about here. It is just this overflow of goodness that God lavishes upon us. We have been chosen. We've been destined for adoption. We've been freed and forgiven. We've been given an eternal perspective because God's plan and purpose so that We can keep our head amidst uncertainty and change. We have security because God has sealed all this through his Holy Spirit. It is just like blessing upon blessing. It's almost like, God, stop. I can't take it all. And you know what this means? It means you're going to be all right. All your fears about not being enough all your concerns that there's not going to be enough to go around, it's a lie. It's a bad story. There's enough. You're enough. Because God has given us enough in Christ Jesus. God has got you covered. All shall be well. Everything is going to be all right. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you. You have given us everything we need to become what we are, to become what we ought to be. Because in Christ, you've lavished on us every spiritual blessing. God, make this so real to us. I don't know what it's got to take, God, but may this be the framing reality, the framing story of our lives. Through your Holy Spirit, make it alive and electric for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.